Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. Brad, my man, what's going on today? What's up, Steve? I am stoked to be recording another episode of the Growth EQ Podcast. We've got an interesting topic, something that you and I discuss all the time. That is the wild world of social media, and uh, I'm always looking forward to diving in. Yes, I'm excited too because this is like our this is our love hate relationship topic, and it it often trends towards maybe a lot of hate, but social media is just this fascinating thing because in some ways it brings us together and connects us, and in other ways it drives us nuts and um pushes us off the edge. And I think two things really drove, have driven our our need to talk about this. And those are, one, Elon Musk is apparently, as of the recording of this podcast, actually going to buy Twitter. Like, actually going to do it. Maybe. With, yes. But the reports are that it's it's in the final stages. So maybe the board but, still has to approve. Yes, maybe. But just the fact that we're at this point. And then the second thing that that occurred as well is um, there was a series of articles in the Atlantic and then a conversation by Jonathan Haidt and uh, Derek Thompson evaluating social media and specifically social media and its impact on teens and the rest of us but mainly teens on in terms of health well-being depression sadness just kind of making us miserable so we decided let's jump in and try and tackle this and um and and give you some insight and maybe pick apart the nuance of of this topic all right so here we go let's define the terms social media is facebook Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, that's social media. Elon Musk is a maniac. And I say that judgment neutral. I struggled to wrap my mind around Elon Musk until I read an article written by a lad named Morgan Housel that basically said that when you realize that Elon Musk is simply a maniac, everything makes sense. And it takes a maniac to think that they're going to lap NASA in space exploration and discovery. Elon Musk did that. It takes a maniac to think that you are going to surpass all the endemic automakers in creating an electronic car and a subsequent um, tipping point. So there's a grid. Elon Musk seems to be on the way to doing that. That's good maniac. It also takes a maniac to go on Twitter and troll senators and claim that the pandemic is over when in fact it's just starting. And perhaps it takes a maniac to buy Twitter at an enormous valuation uh, when there's not really a great business model behind Twitter. So Elon Musk is a maniac. And in the words of Morgan Housel, that comes with good and bad. And if you want the good, you've also got to accept the bad. Jonathan Haidt, social scientist at NYU, Derek Thompson, a culture writer. The two of them have followed closely the impacts of social media on our political system. And 
Perhaps even more closely, they've followed the impacts of social media on the mental health of the young people in this country, so particularly teenagers. And what they found and what they've written about is that the rise of teenage anxiety, depression, self-harm has gone way up in lockstep with the emergence of social media. Yes, correlation is not causation, but there are also uh, cohort-based studies. You can't really do a randomized control trial, but some researchers did. They had people log off of Facebook for six weeks. They paid them to. And at the end of the study, those people were happier. And they weren't just happier because they got paid. They were happier because they were off Facebook. We know this because the vast majority of those people never got back on. So for all the good that social media has, there's a lot of bad, and it's leaving our youth pretty fucked up. All right. Succinct. And I so, say that in clinical terms. <laughs> All right. So I, I'm I think to tackle this, let's first get personal. Because we've had conversations on social media before. But how do you see your relationship with social media right now? You want me to be honest? Yeah. All right. I am only active on one platform, which is Twitter, and I mainly use Twitter to share messages that are related to the things that are either in our previous books, testing ideas for future books, or selling books, or telling people to subscribe to our newsletter, where we can go much deeper on topics and nuance. I used to care more about retweets, likes, followers than I do now, and that is because I've realized that it just doesn't matter. I do not consume any information from social media. I shouldn't say any, but so rarely do I consume information from social media. I have found that if I read the New York Times website twice a week, if I visit the Wall Street Journal website once a week, And if I listen to the Ezra Klein show, Derek Thompson's podcast, and a few others that friends recommend, I am covered. I also have found that I can hear about articles like the Jonathan Haidt article and the Derek Thompson article via all my friends who are on social media that tell me about these things. So that's where I'm at right now. I don't think I would be on social media if I was convinced that we could spread our message and reach the same amount of people without it. Okay. I mean, that's fair enough. What about you? I think I'm similar, but not as extreme, I would say. So I use social media in a similar way in the sense that I try to be very deliberate and intentional. My kind of outlook is... Yes, A, to share things I'm thinking about, writing about, etc. It's partly promotional to promote our ideas, to get them widespread. Um, But I also think of it as like, maybe not a service, but a way to combat what I often see, which is a lot of outrage, hacks, quick fix things that at the growth equation we kind of fight against. And it's my job as someone with at least a modest platform to put good stuff out in the world because 
whether I like it or not, people are going to consume information on Twitter, Instagram, whatever have you. We have not ventured to TikTok. I don't think we ever will. But, um, and that that's kind of how I see it. So it's almost like a, a job to a degree to combat a lot of the negative things that I see on social media. As far as platforms, I'm mostly on Twitter. I think as writers, that's what comes naturally to us. Uh, so that's what we use and I prefer. I use Instagram, but it's, you know, again, if we're being honest, it's literally taking things that did well on Twitter and putting them on Instagram and text. I don't post many pictures at all of anything. It's just text of insight that I think might be helpful. And then Facebook is just like random articles that get shared from our newsletter every once in a while. And that's about it. So I'm going to say another thing on my current relationship with social media. Over the past couple of weeks, I have been in like deep creative mode working on a big creative project. And it has led me to spend significantly less time on Twitter than I was before. And I am just so much happier. And even before, I wasn't like engaging in the cesspool of political Twitter. I just think like it is the most, even a good thread is so much more superficial than reading a through written essay or trying to write one yourself. So I'm not judging, this is my own brain, for my own brain, even if I'm not engaging in the political who's who, even if I'm not worrying about likes and retweets, if it's simply a place to go to get and share information, I am happier when I am not getting and sharing information on that place. So I think about it as a part of my job. Now, don't everyone go run to unfollow me on Twitter because I'm still going to post the stuff for now. And if you find value in it, that's great. Steve's point, we want to reach people wherever they are. But the less time I'm on social media, the happier I am. And that includes when I'm using social media in the healthiest way possible, which again, for me, is completely avoiding political stuff on social media, not caring about likes and retweets, simply sharing stuff and occasionally browsing for interesting things. So, you know, to push back a little bit, I think it's interesting because we met on social media and we've talked about this before, right? You've met other people, friends, colleagues, collaborators through Twitter and formed relationships. So it's easy to kind of, I think for now is like put down the social media aspects, but it does bring things that at one point gave us value, right? Yes. And what I would say is that we were different at that point and social media was different at that point. I met you on Twitter, I don't know, eight years ago. Twitter was a lot different eight years ago. It wasn't nearly as negative. It wasn't nearly as saturated. And you and I were different eight years ago. We maybe didn't have the aptitude to be able to take bigger creative swings offline. So could I spend a lot of time on Twitter right now and meet more interesting people that perhaps I could collaborate with in the future? Absolutely. There's a tried and true recipe to that. You reply to people, you engage with people, you have good conversation, and there's real benefit in that. I guess what I'm saying 
is that the cost of that additional time in front of a screen, additional time communicating with someone that is not a sentient being in front of you is greater than the perceived benefits. For now, you right now. Right now. And, and maybe yeah. that could change. Like there's a lot of people that I'd love to be able to meet and have read my work and have that be a conduit to connection. I could try to set a goal for a year to engage with Barack Obama on Twitter. And maybe it would work, but the cost is just way too high. And that's an extreme example, but there's a lot of people like that. Yeah. No, and the only reason I push back is I think it's, it, and I think this is a point, it depends on where you're at as well. Yeah, when I was scrappy and I didn't write anything and I didn't have followers, and I have a lot of good fortune right now that one thing that's nice is when you author, author a book that does okay, We've got two of those now, hopefully three starting in a few weeks, more on that later, listeners. Then it's a lot easier to just email someone cold and have them respond to you. And before we had that, yeah, then Twitter was a place to be able to get into conversations and get into rooms that you otherwise couldn't get in. And I think if that's what you're using it for and it's valuable in that way, that's great. I think now I would just rather either not be in those rooms or get into the rooms on my own terms, not on the terms of this endless newsfeed. Yeah. So what I'm hearing here is especially now, but I guess it applies to everything is the key is being intentional and deliberate on what you're using it for. Like if you're intentional and deliberate on, hey, I'm going to use this to create connections to find other people who do interesting things. That can be great and that can work as long as you sit there and you step back and you're like, hey, this is the reason I'm doing it. I'm not going to fall down all the into all the outrage holes and traps and trolling and all that stuff. This is why I use it. If you want to use it for passing along information like we do, then great. Be deliberate and intentional on using that. And again, don't get side sidestepped by all the... the, but the honestly, without being too prescriptive here, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a regular listener of the podcast, or if you subscribe to our newsletter, or if you read or listen to our books, and you're still on Twitter for people like us, I would really challenge you to check that assumption because you're getting the best of us right here and in the newsletter and in our books. There is, we are not better on Twitter. And I think that there's an inertia to telling yourself that you're getting all this value out of Twitter when you're actually not getting all that value out of Twitter. You're getting like a superficial level of understanding and intimacy where there are so many more mediums. To be fair, when we met on Twitter, podcasts weren't a big thing. Now you can learn by listening to a variety of podcasts. Um, books are just cheaper and more available than when we first met. That is not necessarily a good thing. It depends on where you sit in the, the line of fish and publishing, but Amazon has totally compressed the price of books. Um, magazines and digital newspapers have changed dramatically since we first met. So there's just more opportunities, I feel like, to get deeper understanding and more engaged discussion than social media offers. But one one thing I'd, again, push back on is that sometimes you don't want the deeper understanding. Like sometimes, like, you want to go broad and superficial as a avenue to understand where you want to go deep. A podcast requires an hour, sometimes more, long commitment, Right. 
But a tweet related to some podcasts gives you an idea of what what that in, un, encompasses and if you want to listen to it or go deep or not. So like I I I agree books all that stuff podcasts etc but <laughs> sometimes I see Twitter as like the or any social media as like the fil- it's like the the very superficial but very broad depending on who you follow where you can get a wide range of views where then you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go deep on this topic or I'm going to read this book or I'm going to follow this person and then read their work or sign up for their newsletter or whatever have you. And I think for certain people that serves a kind of important purpose versus, you know, always looking for the long form article or, you know, podcast or book. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely truth to that. And I think it's just the cost benefit of the cost is potentially getting sucked in and spending more time than you want. And the benefit is if you can be really intentional and deliberate, then there is no cost. I I find it just maybe too hard to be intentional and deliberate. Or I start thinking in tweets. And this is definitely more in terms of sharing information than receiving. But if I'm focused on spending time on Twitter and sharing things on Twitter, I'll have a thought and I'll be like, oh, what would the tweet be instead of what would the book chapter be or what would the article be or not what would I search on Twitter to learn more, but like what books would I want to read to learn more? And I think that for me, that that kind of thinking is just so much more meaningful and fulfilling And even when I'm not spending time on Twitter itself, when I'm in a mode of spending time on Twitter globally, it's just like it permeates how I think, how I act um, in ways that for me tend to have a higher cost than benefit. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. But I'm not leaving anytime soon, to be clear. It's just it's down regulated quite a bit. I mean, we just talked about this morning, like right now for me to be on Twitter means to share maybe one or two threads a week, which I write offline and then copy and paste over to schedule maybe a couple of tweets a week. And then maybe to go on there, like this morning, you told me about the Elon Musk moves. I went on Twitter. I put Elon Musk in the search bar. I saw some of the you know top 10 takes for five minutes and then I showered and that was it. And I probably won't be back on Twitter until I schedule more tweets later this week. Yeah. I mean, that's understandable. I, I think, I think again, where it comes down to me is make sure you're using it and it's not using you. And if you do that, like whatever your comfort level is at this point, then again, it can be a useful tool because that's what it is. It's a tool. All of social media is a tool. Another thing I would say is like, make sure you're, actively consuming versus passively consuming right because it's the passive consumption that gets us in the way where if you want to know about elon musk and what's going in the news you know quickly twitter can be a great tool if you're following the boston marathon and you want to know what's going on and how people look from experts one of the best tools is to just search it in in twitter right in real time So 
if you're but those are like act of consumption there's a purpose you're trying to figure something out i think where we often go wrong is when it becomes that passive consumption where it's just scrolling and this goes for instagram as well and i guess tiktok although neither of us use that very much or at all actually um if if it's passive consumption then it's it's just not good <laughs> yeah and there's one other take on twitter that i think is important to share um which is different than ours and that is Derek Thompson, who we mentioned had this really interesting conversation with Jonathan Haidt about teenage anxiety and depression. And what Derek Thompson said is that Twitter is like a library of infinite rich resources, but in front of the library, you got to go through the cafeteria where there's an enormous food fight. So you've got to learn how to navigate the food fight to get to the library. Um, and Derek Thompson admittedly spends a ton of time on Twitter. So maybe he's figured out how to navigate that food fight, um, in a way where it doesn't, uh, he doesn't get hit with like, you know, a stale egg or a banana peel, whatever that may mean to him. Yeah, no, that's a good, a good analogy, I think. And, and again, I think it, you know, if you look at social media in general is what it does is it gives people a voice, which I think is a great thing. But then it, because we're human beings, it pushes us to have that like food fight voice where we're just. So, so then let's get, let's get deep for a minute. We've talked about our use and in, in the boundaries that we draw. What about the argument that just by being on there, we're like, if, 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 if we think that social media is a net bad in its current form, then are we contributing to the net bad by partaking in it? Or are we being realist in saying that we're not going to change the world by signing off? If that's where people are, we need to be where people are. Or am I asking the wrong question altogether? So say that again. How do you wrestle with, if on the whole, not just the way that we use it, but in general, we think that social media is a net bad in its current form for political polarization, for teenage mental health, for the reactivity cycle, for virality, for news that is spreading that is patently not true, yet we're on there. Are we contributing to this thing that is net bad? Or can we safely say that, hey, we're not going to change the world by by dropping off, so we got to be where people are. But if everyone says that, then it's still going to be in existence. And I don't know how, and then there's another argument, which is like, Twitter isn't the problem. Twitter is a symptom. And the problem is that like, people are batshit crazy. So I, I, here's how I handle this, that argument or that thought process. I think one is, it's human nature, right? I mean, it's the problem isn't social media. Before social media, like, what were the comment sections of articles? The same crazy stuff. Before comment sections existed, what was the the message boards, the like old school message boards? They were trash like this as well. When you have essentially anonymous group communication where everyone's looking to stand out, have their voice, be heard, say their piece, etc. This is just what occurs. 
like social media is just the latest iteration of this, I think. So if we're going, the, the question isn't, well, should we have social media or not? It's this is the internet question. Regardless, even if Twitter went away or whatever social media went away tomorrow, there would be another avenue for this expression. But isn't it different? Because on the message boards, you didn't get likes and retweets. So you weren't rewarded for saying certain things. You you get rewarded. So if you've looked at Reddit for years, you get up or down voted. Right? Your, your, your post does, but it's not yeah. like you're... It's not like uh, you get points. You get points for good threads. You get you get like it keeps track of how many I it's like I forget what it's called. I haven't been on Reddit except to push stuff, but you get like little star point things. So like every single every uh, almost every single, you know, even if we went back decades like I I can remember I'll just use running as the example. Like way back when I was in high school, the message board for running was Dystat. Okay. And in there you got like points and leaderboards and likes and like all of this stuff and number of 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 posts you had and all of that stuff. And this is in the year two thousand, right? So that isn't always there, but I think the point is something is going to fill this gap on the internet, even if we eliminated social media. Right. It's like internet cocaine. Yeah. And and like it's, but it's going internet to internet cocaine that causes all kinds of problems in the real world. It is yeah. the real world. But but it's going it's going to it's and I'm not saying like we shouldn't think about, okay, how do we handle this? How do we what make do we it do? better then? Yeah. But to me, it's always like it's going to be part of the internet because the internet incentivizes that. Like there's a reason why simple sites like Reddit are still around or Twitter is not that changed from, you know, a decade ago. Same with Facebook. Like Facebook, yeah, there's updates and stuff like that. But it works much the same way, just in an expanded audience as it did, you know, way back when we were in college. Well, this gets back to something that Jonathan Haidt said, which I think is smart. And that is, okay, well, then how do you make it better? And two of his ideas that I agree with are, number one, you have to verify people's identity simply because there are tons of algorithms and bots that are not even people that are just there to sow discord in the discourse via Russian Chinese intelligence. And number two, uh, I think you got to have an age limit. And we haven't really gotten to this, but this is like the effect on a young person's brain whose identity is just forming and you're commercializing their identity by retweets, likes, comments. And this is particularly rough on Instagram where it is purely aesthetic and for any 10 to 16 year old boy and certainly girl being judged in that way all the time is just really not good for you. And we're seeing that in the rates of, of teenage mental illness. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Brad. I mean, you have a child. What will you do when, or 
two questions. At what age do you think it's appropriate for um, him to have social media? And then second, what do you do when he gets to middle school or high school or whatever and all of his friends are on whatever Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever the, the newest thing is? So I have a few I have a few responses because I've thought about this. First off, I think the right age is probably 16. It's kind of arbitrary, but if you can trust them to drive a car and educate them on that, then you should be able to educate them on using social media best of, best of their ability. Number two, I've toyed around with running for school board as a single issue candidate, which is to have some like policies around social media use in schools and having, um, I think it'd be very hard to actually regulate from the top down, but having packs that parents sign that, Hey, their kid's not going to be on social media until X age because you get a network effect where if everyone's on it and then your kid's left out, that sucks. But if no one's on it, who cares? So the third thing that I would say is I do think that there will be some just generational learning where growing up with social media as a thing, my hope is that Theo's generation just like doesn't care as much about it because they understand it's bullshit. Hmm. Okay. So I I agree. I, I agree. I just think it's like the, I don't, uh, again, I think of it as like a human condition, right? And it's part of like the internet and who we are. And I'm not sure how we regulate and and wrestle this with this. I think an age limit would be appropriate. But I think even back, like the technology is always going to be ahead of whatever regulation we use. I mean, I think back to, you know, our generation in high school and i don't know if you remember this or not but early days of the internet there were like all these simple like rating systems <laughs> of like hot or not or like well, isn't that how facebook started yeah yeah so, it was like a thumbs up or thumbs down hot or not right ex- exactly so those things are always going to be there and i think they play towards adolescence as, as well because in those middle school, high school age, we're like, even without any internet, social media, we're like, we're ranking and organizing hierarchies, you know, and this just gives you another avenue to rank and organize hierarchies. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Uh, and I mean, these are all like really good defenses of, in a way, just not social media itself, but whatever would replace it is always going to be there. Yeah. But we can still opt out. And I think as adults, like if, if part of the reason that those hierarchies didn't have so much power is because there weren't millions of people on them. And the New York Times writers and Wall Street Journal writers and Atlantic writers and CNN and Fox and MSNBC anchors didn't all hang out there all day saying, holy shit, Steve's not hot. Let's write about it. So some of it's our own fault. You know, to the Elon Musk thing. I was thinking today, like if Elon Musk's first move is to let Donald Trump back on Twitter, it's only really problematic if people give a shit. Because if no one retweets, likes, covers the stuff that he says, then how is it any different than him just giving a podcast interview, which he has currently been doing or giving a speech? 
So like in the politics, we're all kind of part of the problem because we don't have to take the bait. You can just ignore it. I was shocked at how many people followed Donald Trump that I know are only following him like because they're addicted to the outrage. They hate him. So it's like, why why wouldn't you block him? Why wouldn't you treat him like any other asshole? Yeah, no, I think that outrage again, it's like it's a human nature thing. So we should, but it's like the car wreck. Like we should ignore it, but it's the car wreck effect. Like we look over because it's crazy and et cetera, et cetera. The other thing that comes to mind there on on your your comment of like, well, all these, you know, everybody. But you don't have to drive. Wait, wait, wait. You don't have to drive by the car rack. If you knew that there was a massive car rack where a bunch of people were dead on the road and there was a detour and it took you two extra minutes, you could choose to take the detour. Yeah, but here I think it's like it's easy in this analogy because the detour saves us time. But if it was like no change in our time or whatever have you, and it's just like, oh, here's this crazy ass event that I'm going to be a part of and I can drive down the road and see it as I go by. Oh, I take the detour every time. I don't want to deal with that. But most, I, I feel like many people in human nature is to like, if there's no delay, it's look at the crazy ass thing. I mean, it's no different than... You look at mass events like a 9-11 or a Boston Marathon bombing or whatever have you, like the the news, the number of eyeballs that go, that just sit there for hours watching news coverage goes through the roof. So I'm glad that you mentioned that because this is a really important point. And I was thinking about this as you were, uh, as you were saying that. So then maybe the problem isn't social media. Maybe the problem is that there's a profit structure set up to encourage people to stare at the car crash. Because if these things weren't monetized in the same way, then you wouldn't have to push the car crash all day. You would say, holy shit, there was a bad car crash. Here's what you need to know. On to the next thing. But because it's time spent on platform and clicks and all of these metrics that are all about just keeping your attention locked up and wrapped, then everything is set up to promote the things that suck attention, which aren't always the most important, fulfilling or true things to be paying attention to. Like a book is the least profitable 10 to 20 hours of attention that someone can spend right now in America. It's a great deal for you. You buy a book, maybe you buy one of our books. 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 dollars. And then no one's trying to sell you anything while you're reading that book. Where else do you get that? You don't get it in the car, you got billboards, you certainly don't get it on TV, you got commercials, you do not get it on social media, you got ads, you don't get it on the internet writing, you got ads. So it's like the book is like the last bastion that isn't monetizing people's attention in a huge way. And it's probably why books struggle to compete with all these other things. People go where the money is. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, it's the attention economy, right? It's what everything. You know is. what else is going down? I'm, I'm, I never thought that we were going to go here when we decided to talk about social media. But there's all these studies that show that people are having less sex. Well, sex is another rare area where you aren't being sold shit while you're doing it. 
It's like all of the things where you are not, where your attention isn't being profited on are going down because the whole system is set up to push you in the direction of things that you are being profited on. That is interesting. I mean, I can think of other examples too. Baseball going way down. Why? Because you're at a baseball game. It takes too long. You know, you get billboards in the stand, but you're still there for three hours. Like all the things that are slow and do not use your attention to then make profits are going down. And all the things that are fast and reactive and use your attention to make money are going up. So what do we do about it? I don't know. I mean, it's crazy. It, 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 it really is. So like for me, it's like read more books and get my information from books um, because I don't want to give up my attention to, to marketers uh, all the time. This is, this is also why I think of this as well as um, in running as well, like more so you see recreational runners, like listen to podcasts and music and all that stuff. And that's great. If that's what gets you out the door, great. But I think similar to what you just talked about, now we've introduced something that is, you know, not incentivized to capture attention to something that is essentially is, right? Especially if you're listening on Spotify or or podcasts or whatever have you with ads. So I, I, I worry about that stuff. I think that the experience, and I didn't think we'd go down this route as well, but the experience is going by the wayside and the like capturing, documenting, etc., which essentially feeds this attention is going up. Yeah, and you see it, you see it, it's a perfect analogy. And I'm not just here to talk about sex, but let's talk about sex. So sex is going way down, porn is going way up. Book reading is going down, sitting on social media is going up. It's the same exact thing. One, it's deeper, it's actually more captivating once you get into it, but no one's selling you shit. The other, it's cocaine. It's quick, it's easy. And people are selling you shit all the time while you're doing it. And I, I, I'm doing this on the fly because I really wasn't prepared to go here. But I bet you could kind of map this on to so many other activities. Um, and people are just flocking in the direction of where their attention can be monetized. And they don't care on Twitter whether or not you're in a good mood or, or you have fulfillment or good mental health. All they care about is your eyeballs so that they can run ads. And it's a shitty business model. Maybe Elon Musk will change this if he buys Twitter and make it a subscription service and get rid of the ads altogether. That would be great. Maybe, but maybe not, because then you just pander to your subscribers. Yeah, I mean, that's where it's very tricky. You know, the other thing that that pops up, and this is slightly going down now, but during the pandemic, there was a huge rise in subscription exercise services like Peloton, which are essentially the same same ideas like you're inside staring at a screen captured by the attention of whatever peloton figure is yelling at you to do stuff versus like doing the same exercise outside 
by yourself. And I get it. There's like benefits and all that stuff. But I think so much of our society is, you're right, it's pushing us in this other direction, um, which is dangerous or in, concerning. In, 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 in then it also... Um... Matt Crawford was ahead of the game on this. I know that you also are a big fan. In his book, The World Behind The World Beyond Your Head, he talked about like a dystopian future where only the very wealthy would be able to afford to go to places where they their attention wouldn't be bombarded upon by nonstop trash. And you almost see that happening. So you want the premium edition of the podcast? Pay $10 a month. Otherwise, you got to sit through all the ads. And I get it that the ads pay for you to have it. So maybe it's a good thing. Maybe you wouldn't get the podcast otherwise. But it is just, it, it's very interesting in, in, in like this attention economy, how it pushes people towards the superficial and easy to monetize and away from the deep in more thoughtful endeavor or more intimate endeavor. Yeah. So I don't know, man. I mean, I don't think that that there's any way to like regulate around this. I don't think it would be a good idea to try because I think there's probably all kinds of unintended consequences. I think here you have to have some faith that people are going to like realize what's going on and get pissed off about it and, and try to protect themselves and their families and their kids and their communities. Yeah. You know, the other thing that comes to mind here is the, uh, is the, the shift in kids play right and how more of their time is spent like you know i don't know the research i think it's something like people spend like six seven hours a day in front of a screen well for young children that has a place like going outside and you know playing pickup basketball with their friends or what have you so in a lot of ways it's it's similar it's like we can either experience something or consume something and more often than not, we choose the consumption. For sure. And the the chance of, this is a Jonathan Haidt stat, uh, uh, stat, so I'm going to believe him, but the chance of a kid getting abducted when they're outside playing with their friends is one-third the chance of a kid getting hit by lightning. So the on its face, fear isn't really anything to fear, but the whole parenting industrial complex and the video games and the computer, again, what are you not doing if a kid's building a fort on a playground? You're not selling that kid anything. You're not getting them hooked on a device. What are you doing if they are? You're selling them and you're getting them hooked so you can sell them in the future. This was that whole Facebook memo that leaked where they were going to have like Instagram for kids. And the whole reason was to make sure that they're hooked so that then they can be on Instagram as adults. Um, I used to think that Mark Zuckerberg was like just naive. Now I actually think that all he gives a shit about is making money. Yeah. So this gets, and maybe this will help us go for full circle here. I like to think of this as what I'll call the local global problem. It's that society kind of worked and we could kind of manage things when all these comparisons and everything was at the local level. So the the hierarchy in your high school, yeah, it sucked for some, but you can manage it because you could find your people. You know, Brad could find his football team. I could find my cross-country team. And 
we might be near the top of our overall hierarchy or not, but like within our local little community, we have our place and our, our purpose and our, our, our group. But what's happened is that local competition, that local world has shifted to global, meaning that now our hierarchies on social media are just as you described earlier, which is like everybody and their, their mom and dad screaming at you, you know, letting you know that you're not good enough or that you even just scrolling through, you don't measure up to whatever standard of beauty or athleticism or whatever your thing is, is all these hundreds and thousands and millions of people. And I think that is like the central, it's like the central problem of the internet. It's like this attention which on its on its own like allows you to monetize and get hooked and all that stuff and then this comparison piece which has moved from a local world where you know we take it back centuries or millennia and if you were in your your tribe let's say out on the savanna even if you weren't the fastest or strongest or best hunter or whatever there was something you were going to be pretty good at Mm-hmm. And you're gonna have a place. Now, no one feels like they have a place, and that's the message that we get. No one feels like they have a role. And, and the thing that scares me most about Web 3.0 is that I think it takes a lot of this and it like gives it a booster because everything then has a value. Like you can NFT your 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 tweet, you can NFT a piece of art you can have people literally invest in you as a person, which I get if you're a creator, it's like really enticing, but man, then you're now competing globally with like a score for yourself. And that feels very dystopian very quickly. Yes, I would agree. Like you do not want to be reduced to the number of followers you have or the number of Bitcoin invested in you because you look out in the real world and people that do do that right now with traditional dollars are super unhappy and they tend to be assholes. Like there's a big difference between money to live and live to make money. And I wonder if web three is going to take the life on the internet and make it live to make Bitcoin or whatever the, the currency is. Yeah. I mean, that is very dystopian and very kind of, I mean, very concerning and, scary in a lot of ways because anytime it's like things go bad anytime our sense of self our identity our self-worth is tied up into some sort of measure because like then as soon as that goes down or as soon as we look up on our comparison and realize that we're kind of nowhere it just makes us feel like shit and pushes us towards like sadness, depression, or apathy. So then let's let's get really concrete. And I'm going to do this in, 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 in real time with no preparation. Why don't we go over like a couple of recommendations for our listeners? So let's start with what I suppose is an easier one. If you are a adult, so you're over 18, and you are not a creative that is selling their own product or service, and you are not an athlete that is selling your performance in a way because of sponsors, 
would you be on social media at all? And if so, how? So I think it depends on the person. But as I said at the beginning, I would say you be very intentional about what you use social media for. If I had none of those things, right, then I think my only use of social media would be maybe, in my case, following events coverage that I can't get elsewhere. All right. And then the second of all, maybe using a basic social media to like have an outlet to connect with someone that I know, but don't like have that relation or don't have that like frequent texting or calling relationship. Just have that outlet open, not use it, not really contribute to it, but have that outlet there. Okay. So what if you are someone that is trying to make it in a field where you are directly selling something that you produce to the world and you are not yet established? So there, I think it, 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 I would use social media. I mean, it depends on what you're selling or what you're trying to do, but there I would think of, okay, what, what's my product? What am I trying, what message am I trying to send into the world? And what do I want to stand for? And then I would stick to tweeting or posting things in regards to that to build up my following or notoriety in this whatever niche I want to be in. And I think defining that niche is important. So before you do anything, you define what niche do I want to be in? Why is this important? What is my goal? And that has to stay centerfold on the things you're tweeting, posting, et cetera. Because if you don't hold that front and center, then it's very easy to get lost. And it's very easy to play the, what I'd call the outrage game, game to get followers, to get some notoriety because people respond to outrage. All right. And I might actually be answering my question as I go on Twitter and look, but I actually find this fascinating. So what I was going to ask you is our newsletter grows from 25,000 to 200,000 and we continue to be fortunate to have the muse find us and we're writing books and we're writing for big publications. Are we on Twitter at all? And if so, how? And then I'll tell you what I just looked up as a parallel example. So are we on Twitter at all? I would say, uh, for me personally, I would be on Twitter much less. What I would probably do is similar to what I do now, only to an even higher extreme, which is I would schedule a couple tweets a week that are basically copy and paste something from our newsletter so I don't even have to think about it and leave it at that and not even go on the app really at all. Yeah, I agree. I think what's fascinating is as I was thinking of that question, I went to Twitter and I looked up our boy James Clear, who used to be on Twitter quite frequently had extraordinary success with his book, Atomic Habits, 
has built his newsletter to, I don't know, a million people. And if you go look at James Clear, he's tweeted something new four times in the last month. He's retweeted old things maybe another six or seven times as I'm scrolling down here. This is someone that used to be on Twitter every day. Now, I don't know. who know? I, I, I know James, but at a very distant level. I like him. He's a good guy. I am not close enough with him to know if there's something going on in his life. Or if he's just kind of reached that point where he's like, I don't really need this anymore, so I'm not going to be here, or at least not going to be here like I used to. And if that's a thing, man, I'm, I, I, I hope that the result of this isn't that everyone just unfollows us on Twitter. But if that's a thing, you kind of have to ask yourself, like, is it really just a cesspool that people are using until they don't need it anymore? And if that's the case, man, if it's Elon Musk or whoever else, like you've got big problems because you don't want your product to be something that people feel like they have to use until they don't need it anymore. Yes. Yes. That's that's very true. So that that's yeah, that's I love that you pulled up James Clear because he's a perfect example. Um, and I like to think if we made it to his level, we'd probably like, why would you need Twitter? Like you have a newsletter that's, let's say, hundreds of thousands. You control your audience. And actually, you know, someone like um, Tim Ferriss is actually kind of similar. Right. You look at 10 years ago. Tim Ferriss used Twitter relatively often, right? Now, if you look at it, it's you can tell it's like all scheduled tweets on like, hey, here's my latest podcast, blah, 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 you know? And I think you see that with creators who have either through newsletter or podcast gotten an audience where they have a direct line to, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who are their fans so why would you go to this like indirect kind of cesspool instead of speaking directly to the people who you want to speak to and can have deeper, probably more meaningful kind of dialogues and than tweeting something out? I think you just defined the strategic plan for the growth equation over the next three years. Get people, subscribe to the newsletter, listening to the podcast, reading the books, reaching people in the kind of mediums that we're more comfortable in ourselves and B, that we genuinely believe are better for people. So if you are still listening, what does all this mean? It means if nothing else, hopefully this conversation has helped you be a little bit more deliberate on the role of social media in your life, what you think you get out of it, what you actually get out of it, what you think the benefits are, what the actual benefits are, and what you think the costs are and what the actual costs are. And if you don't change your behavior at all, but you go through that consideration, great. If you do change your behavior in either direction, also great. That's thing number one. Thing number two is as creators, we would encourage you to try to get a level more intimate with the people that you follow on social media that you really like. You're listening to this podcast, so you're already doing it for us. Podcasts take a lot more time than Twitter. So it's not like if you follow 200 people and 100 of them are creators, you can listen to 100 podcasts a week. But I think it's a good, healthy calling exercise to kind of say, hey, who are the people that I really want to engage with? And is there a way to connect with them more intimately? 
because they'll probably enjoy it more. And on a receiving end, it's a lot better for you. And then the third thing would be to really think about where your attention is going and is it going in the direction of the car accident because they're enticing you in, but then they're going to sell you shit? Or is it going on the long country roads that don't give you that visceral, crazy excitement, but make you feel a lot more at peace at the end of the day? So the country road is reading a book. It's playing outside. It doesn't even have to be sex, just having deep, intimate conversations with people you care about. And the car accident is social media, video games, computer, stuff where you're being advertised to, porn, so on and so forth. So I don't know. We were a bit all over the place, but if you made it this far, we appreciate you. And uh, and hopefully you, you found our meandering valuable and uh, you take away a thing or two from it. That's right. No, I, I, I hope that listeners found this valuable. Thanks for listening. If you did, maybe send it to someone who you think, you know, would benefit from listening to this conversation. Because as Brad just outlined, our goal is to have direct conversations with you and less on social media. So that's that's our goal. But this also, but I hope the point is, is this. If you listen to this conversation, we wrestled with things. We took on nuance. I pushed back on you. You pushed on me. Like that's what that's what it should be about versus the the quick hit social media take the the very definitive this is the answer to all of our problems. So that's why I like having conversations either on this podcast or on our newsletter where we can take the time to wrestle with them. So if you enjoy that stuff, Thanks for supporting our work and and please continue to do so. And if you like the social element, create your own little social media on deeper interactions. So I've got a thread of um, parents in Asheville that we share podcasts and books on that thread that we found interesting around parenting. And sometimes we'll discuss them and then we'll meet up at a barbecue or we'll bump into each other in town. That to me, not only hits the deeper relationship, but it hits the local point. Um, if you can't get into an actual book club, then get into like a text thread or a discord book club. So just try to get work your way upstream away from the marketers and toward owning your attention and being able to focus it on the things that you want, even if there's an upfront cost, be it financially subscribing to something, buying a book or in perceived time and energy. All right, that's all I got. You made it with us an hour. We thank you for your time and energy and we'll catch you next Wednesday. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.